Hey guys, welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 77. I am joined by Azil. Say hello. Hello. And Grail. Hello. And uh, hang on. My my Ouija board is moving. What is it's going to the it's going to the G. What's going to the R I Gry? That's not how you spell Gry. Who is who is that? Who is on the other line there? Hey, it's Griffith. I'm back. Holy <laughs> shit, he has returned from the grave. And by the grave I mean it's been like two months. But Yeah. <laughs> he's back. Griffith has, has rejoined us. Uh, and we are all reconvened to talk about episode 345. I feel like this is one of those talks I, I've personally been waiting on for, I don't know, not, not since they set out for Elfhelm, but you could kind of sense that once they arrived on the island, we would get a big talk and a big explanation of what had been happening in the outside world. And Mira definitely delivered that on a silver platter for us. But um, we will get into the meat of that very soon. Uh, if you want to stay tuned throughout the entire, after the entire episode talk, we are going to try to talk about the Berserk anime since we haven't actually talked about the show on the, the former podcast, you know, the formal podcast, just uh, those little special episodes. So I want to do a quick little recap of what we thought about that at the very end of the show, if you're up for that. But wanted to start things out with the meat of it with uh, episode 345. So um, what you guys think? Just initial impressions, first of all. That awesome. escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> like Mira didn't waste any time. Yeah, I think he's he is making moves very fast in the last couple of episodes. I think it was just great. Yeah, about how it escalates, you're right about that. And I actually like how he doesn't even have any formalities about introduction between Ged and Guts. It just proceeds as if Ged knows about Guts. He knows that Guts is carrying a Behirat. He knows about Guts' connection with Griffith. They don't, they don't even, you know, pussyfoot around that. They go straight to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it makes sense because it also establishes uh, these gurus as, you know, people who don't fuck around, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the episode was expounding on some of the things that Ged had hinted at in the previous episode about introducing the concept of the forest of spiritual trees and their connection with the world tree and uh, what Griffith has been up to in the past few years. So it's yet another example of Miura taking an existing concept and folding it into a larger uh, idea about, you know, across the world, these kinds mm-hmm. of trees existed and Flora wasn't just out there away from the continent or away from the Island for her own reasons. If she was, it was an, in addition to her duties as protecting that particular tree. And that's something not even Shirke knew. So at the same time as he's at broadening the world, he's tying it as an existing phenomenon and giving some character development for Flora. So I thought that was very cool. Yeah, also, I don't think we should, uh, I don't think we know, like, exactly the extent of what Flora's life was like, so. No, I agree, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely leaving room for any other personal decisions she may have had for leaving, I mean, it's kind of obvious that it was probably have something, having something to do with Geyseric, given that Skull Knight has said Flora and Geyseric were similar to Guts and Shirke. Yeah, even technically, we don't even know for sure that she ever was on this island, just that she's an old friend of Ged. So, yeah, yeah, sure. Presumably, they may have met long ago in another place, but uh, yeah, the, the you know the way it's tied is is very interesting, I think, and especially the way Mira expanded on the concept of the <clears throat> spiritual tree and the fact these are linked 
that Flora was a guardian of one of them. It's uh, it's a pretty organic thing. I think something he he's done throughout the series. But uh, yeah, it's always great to see you know it happen in front of our eyes. Where he introduced her, then you know tens of volumes later he introduced the War Spire Tree, and then again five volumes later he ties the two together into something that makes perfect sense. And you're like, wow. Yeah. So. I didn't have any other broad overview episode thing, so I figured we'd just get into the meat of the page by page. And I mean, I have, I have a lot to say about the episode as usual, but it's all kind of tied to individual little sections. So uh, unless you guys uh, have a problem with that, we will do the page by page. Well, there's a lot of no, stuff I mean, to I say, but you, yeah. Yeah, you have to. It's so dense. You almost have to go panel by panel, word by word. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... I didn't have much on the first few pages. What I did note was that the architecture, of course, is very similar almost to the exact detail of what Flores looks like. It's just on a grander scale. Like, it's everything's much huger. I think Shirke says you could fit, you know, Flores' entire place in there easily. But in addition to the scale and the hugeness, you, you get the sense that that big two-page spread of the interior, it just looks very empty, right? I mean, it is empty. It's, it looks like it's a place, uh, it's a gathering hall. But it's yeah. just not really filled out right now, you know. And I, know, it, I wondered about that. It looks like a a church reception room. Yeah, yeah. like it, yeah. I mean, it might literally serve that kind of function. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually going to say, you know, that big page of it like that. It actually reminds me of a, a cathedral. You know, the yeah. way there's that big, you know, uh, like uh, it's a star. You know, I guess the star of David. You know, that uh, lets mm-hmm. light enter in, filters through stuff. Just the way it's constructed, it's uh, and I think it's uh, it's meant to be reminiscent of that kind of building. Yeah, yeah. Well, particularly with the light coming in like that, and the overall yep. the overall shape of it even looks cathedral like. You know, the, just the high ceiling, tall vertical. Yeah, like a, a basilic, uh, you know. And yeah. Um, so yeah, and yeah, I agree. It's uh, it looks to be some kind of communal era, maybe where they ate or stuff like that, and. <clears throat> If I may say one thing, I guess it's empty. It's also because uh, we see later on a lot of the witches are, you know, like outside peering through the windows. So maybe when everyone's there, it's more filled up. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I had not actually considered this area to be a common room until we had this discussion just now because, you know, Ged refers to this as his place in the previous episode. So I just assume this is where the gurus lived and hung out, basically. But it could very well be, you know, the town center kind of place, you know. I, I think, yeah, at least to me, I believe it serves a, a kind of function as a town hall. And I just say so because of the way tables are set. Like, mm. if it was just a room for four guys, you know, like, or even just get, it, it would make, you know. So I think he lives there, but it also serves that kind of purpose. Mm. Yeah. And they very quickly established uh, Danan, or Danan, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Yeah, Danan. Danan as the person with the foodstuffs. So, yeah, very well could be the common area just because that's where the food is. Yeah, she's a kind of a maid, I guess, or at least a helper that, yeah. you know, takes care of the guys, makes them food and stuff like that, takes care of chores. And she's got the coolest outfit. And the yeah, coolest she's hair. Pretty, pretty nice, yeah. Yeah. I would be remiss without mentioning that this is, please correct me if I'm wrong, the first 
shot of a cat in Berserk? I'm trying to think of another one. No, I can't no, think of no. We've seen be. cats before. Even uh, on the Seagulls Island, uh, Solitary Island, we see... There's uh, a cat on there, really? Yeah, scrawny oh. cats. Yeah. Uh, you guys, amateurs. No, no, we, 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 we've seen cats. <laughs> Don't before. forget the Piscasha cat too. You know, so that's oh that come cat. on, <laughs> technically also a cat. That's true. Yeah, yeah, we've we've seen cats before. Okay, well, it's our first time seeing chess in Berserk. Uh, yeah, I s- <laughs> uh, maybe in Britain is. Sure. As is, he's thinking back to the dock scenes, and you know, he's scanning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in his mind, like the Terminator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. so. But yeah, the, the individual guru designs are all very distinct mm-hmm. and very wild. Almost like, you know, kind of like an old painting of a magician. You kind of like very exaggerated features. Kind of very yeah. fantastical looking old dudes. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah. each with their own distinct little hats. <laughs> I was yeah. talking to Gob about this when the episode came out. And it kind of, their designs kind of remind me, I don't know if you guys remember the old Rankin Bass Hobbit cartoon and the uh, Return of the King cartoon from like 1980. It's very, very Ugh. similar, and it kind of cracked me up. <laughs> I've never actually seen that before, but uh, I think I know what you mean. I remember that art style, seeing pictures and stuff. Yeah, yeah I, I haven't seen it either, but just yeah, a coincidence, I, but kind of a fun thing. To sure. Think I, I think. And that, I mean, I think just in general, yeah, they look very much like sort of caricatures of you know wizards. Like Gandalf does come to mind. I mean, they are so mm-hmm. quintessentially like old wizards. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, it's pretty cute. Yep. <laughs> and I mentioned the hats because they are basically in uniform, like all the other witches are, but they're all, each of them brings their own little distinct look to their character design. You know, the ruffled, you know, uh, cloak of one, you know, how one kind of long and droops, you know, they're all kind of distinct, despite the fact that they are all wearing the same thing. Yep. My favorite is the tall guy who is just like as tall as can be, including his hat pointing just totally yeah. erect, yeah. straight yeah. up. His long vertical beard, long nose, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't have their names in front of me. I wish I'd written that down, uh, but they're written one in One is thread. called Skillbill. The other one is called Slime. Mm. And the third one is called Ginal or Ginner. Mm. I'm not going to remember those. Well, you know, I mean, you, you just asked, so... I'm yeah, no, no, you're right. I'm glad, I'm glad you had it. I mean, I can, I can also say, oh, I don't know, but, no. yeah. No, that's right. I just, I'm just saying, uh, I guess I need to see them written down and have a few more episodes spent with these guys so I can know who's who and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's also worth mentioning is that they also have some kind of specialty to each of them. So, you know, uh, one is like, uh, you know... Skill bill is a mysterious skill bill, something like that. The other one is line of habitation, ginal oh. of weight. So those are based on the the Korean, you know, translation. But they they each have their own specialties. Is the point of what I'm saying? Hmm. They, you know, they each have their own field, and I think we don't know gets yet. And what I just said is not like uh, an exact translation, so we shouldn't be taken literally. But uh, I think uh, the four of them are going to maybe even be, you know, uh, specialized by element. Like one is of for air, the other for earth, fire, water. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll get to see more of their powers uh, later on. It would be interesting to see. Like we saw Ged could, you know, make rain happen just like that. And maybe another guy can create a tornado or something. So it, it'll be mm-hmm. cool to see. Mm. I also wondered if it might just be divided by just their expertise in certain phenomenon. Because uh, you see a little bit of an example of that when Shirke asks specifically about the forest of spiritual trees. And, you know, one of them mm. speaks up in particular. 
So yep. I don't know, I don't know if they each have kind of an expertise level independent of whatever, you know, mastery of the elements they might have. I, I mean, it would be interesting if each of them, you know, was sort of charged with, you know, so specifically mastering a specific element like Ged with the, the rain that, yeah. you know, together they're just completely overwhelmingly formidable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it um, it's not a coincidence there's four of them. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, and exactly. We saw it was only last episode that they we knew the term great gurus. Um, and now we're being shown all four. We assume it's all of them. You know, we're it's still a new term, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I mean, uh, it's just the way it's translated is just because there's no exact word for it. So guru makes sense in that regard. But yeah, so just you know, like the grandmasters, you know, the guides, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. But yeah, guru is the most appropriate word. So they're the thought leaders uh, of, you know, this witch village. Sure. I mean, I think the actual word right now is not, is so important, but the fact that it is a distinguishing title for them is what's important. It's a new concept. What's, what I'm curious about is like how good Flora was compared to them. Mm-hmm. That, that's, yeah, what yeah. I, that's what I, that's what I care about, you know, because people have been like in the past comparing Daiba and Shiruke, but it's not really like, Comparison doesn't make much sense, but these guys, you know, they're like the, the real deal. So, uh, you know, that's what I'm curious about. See stuff like that to see, you know, Shiruke compared to also the other witches of the island. That, that would be interesting to see. Well, it's interesting to think of just, a, you know, it's a silly sort of superficial thing, but it's interesting that Flora, you know, maybe in semi-retirement is really the only one that, you know, she wasn't wearing her outfit. She didn't have like the witch's uniform on. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's she right. Looked like she was in a much more casual dress. So I thought, you know, I thought that was interesting because so everyone else is. In the, we do see a small panel flashback of Flora when she was younger, when she, from Shirke's memories, and she is wearing the outfit then. But right. when she's retired to the mansion itself, yeah, she's wearing her old, old woman yeah, outfit. And she was also like literally on the verge of death. Like in it's reiterated several times uh, during that time that. Even if the apostles hadn't attacked, like she would have probably died in a matter of, you know, maybe days. Like it, it sounds like she's really on the verge of dying. So, uh, you know, I mean, maybe she just like she was ready for it. No, no need to be. Maybe in the it was. Dress. Maybe it literally is like you know she she just wanted to take the damn uniform off. <laughs> if you look at it that way, like it is a uniform. Well, she we wanted to wear something more comfortable. But I, I guess you do have a point in that, you know. She was casual. It also implies a certain kind of, I don't know, assurance to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. I mean, we've speaking of Flora's clothing, we've seen her wear that outfit in other memories as well, like the painting Mira did when he, she's training with, with Shirke. Yeah. And we see her walking. We see I her believe. when she's baking the golems in that one weird picture. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. That's, that's yours, Grail. <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> Didn't want to confuse our listeners you. out there. Cool, I got gotcha. cool. you. Yeah, you, that was that was fan art. Please don't get confused, people. <laughs> good, good, good. So moving on, uh, we're introduced to Danon, which is the as as you already described, kind of kind of like a maid type. I don't maid sounds so, so diminutive. You know, yeah. maybe it's not that relationship. I don't Executive know. Executive assistant. I, yeah, I I didn't <laughs> use. Uh, I think I didn't use maid in the, the summary because yeah, it's it's too diminutive. She's a helper. Yeah. So, but she does do like she cooks for them and. Probably, she has a broom in her hand, so yeah, she cleans stuff up. But she's still a witch, and uh, presumably, uh, not uh, how to say, not a bad one, you know. So yeah, she's more than just a, a cleaner. 
And it's hard to determine her exact age, of course, but she does appear to occupy that middle ground of the age that we were missing from the previous episode, where it's not super old and not, you know, young, but kind of 20s-ish something. Yeah, she's a young adult, I guess. Yeah, 20s, 30s, who knows? Yeah. Like, she could be old, but still look young, that kind of stuff. Right. But I guess my point is, it's no longer a suspicious absence in the age gap, as it once was in the last episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Uh, it's interesting. I like how they interact with her. The old, typical old men, you know, interacting with their their, their help, basically, kind of a, a relationship between them. Yeah, I, I like, uh, you know, the whole we introduced to them where they don't, like, they're not minding the guests at all yeah. at first. They're just arguing with each other about chess. And, you know, there's, there's a one who's always angry, uh, kind of, you know, a glutton. There's a two who... Jose always not cheat each other at chess, but don't want to admit when one has lost to the other, that kind of stuff. So uh, I guess it gives them a kind of uh, whimsicalness, uh, you know, before we get to the serious part. So I think that was, I thought that was neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting that they're, despite the fact that a group arriving from off the island probably is a historic event, or at least, you know, in recent times for them, they don't seem quite very perturbed about it. You know, they're just kind of like, yeah, sure. We'll sit down and eat. Why not? Let's talk. Yeah. <clears throat> Especially Weezy. since, like, we, we learn later on that they do know who these guys are and, like, the guy's yeah. connection to Griffiths, that he carries a bear. It's the kind of stuff they perceive probably, you know, without doing anything. But, yeah, yeah they're just laid back in spite of that, you know. Well, yeah, it's a funny sort of casualness. Like, you know, for us, this is the biggest event, you know, that we're anticipating. Same for, you know, the characters, too, particularly Guts. But for them, it's like, you know, oh, it's, it's dinner time. It's time yeah. to eat and chat. It's time to make conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I like uh, that Guts actually addresses it straight away. You know, I can kind of empathize with his impatience <laughs> coming this far and encountering a bunch of old dudes playing chess in his big room. And uh, I mean, he didn't cross the world to visit the magic old folks home like Isidro jokes <laughs> about. So yeah. he's a man of action. And uh, alongside these basically retired guys, I'm sure it's. It's natural that he's a little impatient. and But aside from that, aside from the natural reaction Guts has, I think actually by addressing this now in, this, in these few panels, you know, Mira is establishing some time for us to develop this before we actually get to the king himself. It's like he's saying, yeah. all right, I've dealt with that now. We can peacefully do this without the reader saying, what about the king? You know, so he's been a- he's been reading some message boards. Yeah. And, you know, he, he decided to address it. Added it's kind of just a, yeah, it's just then kind again, of a subtle nudge that we'll have some time here for a bit. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, I think it actually makes sense for Guts himself to be impatient oh, yeah. like that, because, yeah. I mean, you know, the reader is impatient, but like the, the most impatient one must be Guts himself. I mean, there's just no other way where there's like, oh yeah, maybe your girlfriend will be cured, you know, like after years and years. So yeah, you bet he wants to get to the point, you know, and he can talk, you know, to them about whatever bullshit later on. Yeah, and he's so close to the end too. It's just that, you know, when he's on the boat and when they're on the island and when they're dealing with the obstacles before them and one thing, it, it's one thing, but now it just seems arbitrary i guess in his eyes like let me see him now yeah, yeah. but, but in their a, eyes they see it differently yeah and I, I actually find it interesting the way ged insists that he doesn't do that and you know mm-hmm. it comments on it later on that the fact the king is a uh, not an easy person to deal with so and ged says that uh you know his feelings might be hurt or that kind of stuff so <laughs> you know i, I actually uh yeah i anticipate 
that it won't necessarily be just walk in the park. Hey, could you just do that quickly for me? Uh, so yeah, I think that also helps to establish that, you know, like yeah. it, it just won't be, you come, it's fixed. Like we already knew that, but now it's said. I thought that well, was a definitely... really interesting detail. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I thought that was a really interesting detail because I think we all had this uh, kind of image in our heads of what the Elf King would be like, kind of like this calm, all-seeing, benevolent kind of flora times a hundred type of character, but it sounds like he's got a little bit of attitude. Well, he's you know, gonna be, he's going to be an elf. Yeah, actually, <laughs> he's going to be, be like fuck. Yeah, it, right. exactly. You know, I think yeah, he's going to be many things. Time, you know, one million, including an elf. So if mm. he's just puck on steroids, I mean, oh boy, I, I don't, I don't want to be the guy talking to him. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and especially if Puck says. He's not easy to deal with because, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, so I mean, ominous. the entire series has established Pact as being not an easy, you know, being to deal with. And like even going on the island, you know, it's been reestablished again and again that he's basically like the most mischievous of them all. So if he <laughs> says the king is not an easy guy, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what, what should we expect here? You know, yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, just the fact that he's, like, eating and, you know, putting it that way, it just makes it, yeah, even I kind of want to put it off. <laughs> like he's not looking forward to it. They need can, the strength. <laughs> I do like the, yeah, this episode, it's just two little asides, but we're already beginning to get a few hints at the his personality and establishing how that back and forth might go. But, I mean, just as you said, knowing what we know about elves and knowing also how the demeanor that these guys are treating uh, the king, the fact that Ged has to go tell the king of their arrival. You know, there's there's this servitude relationship there. This guy's obviously one of great power, but also I'm guessing a little temperamental because he's an elf, you know, and probably a little whimsical as well. So I can see kind of Mira kind of doing both of those things, right? You know, we've seen characters that walk both of those sides, like when Griff is throwing water on guts and then turning to him and saying, I want my kingdom. There mm. are ways to walk that bridge of being super serious and also super mm. playful. Yeah, and... Like, there's also the aspect, like, he's a king, you know, like, so he has a title, king of yeah. the elves, and these guys are human, and, you know, like, even all that's been going on and stuff like that, you, you know, I wonder, like, how the general elf population actually thinks of humans right now, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to just Puck and Ivarla, because these guys are special, but how, like, does the average elf view humans right now? Are they, do they think they're a threat? Do they think, you know... So there's also this whole aspect, like this is this will be the first time we actually see like a true clash of the species. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's going to be uh, you know interesting in that regard. That's a good point, yeah. And we haven't even seen this is this is the the home of the elves. We haven't even seen an elf aside from Puck and Valyria yet. So uh, I feel like we're just is an explosion of elves just over the corner. You know, <laughs> next two episodes or so. You know. Yeah, because that's also an interesting thing, actually, that I expected, and I think most everyone did, that the witch village would be filled with elves, and mm -hmm. the whole island would be probably, you know, like, crammed uh, with elves everywhere. So, the fact that... We've, we've had glimpses to that effect, I believe, in the in the story. They'll show panels at Puck's home, you know, and mm -hmm. you'll see just elves everywhere. So, I wonder if there's more to that, or if we just haven't gotten to the elf portion of the island yet i think yep. it's the latter but you're right that in the hints that puck showed of his home mm -hmm. hometown 
it was him interacting with, you know, the wizard t- carrying off that bag, being, you know, swatted, <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. That's kind of what I expected, the, you know, co-population of elves with humans, but we're not getting that. It's a segregated society is what it seems like. Yeah, pretty much. And Puck was apparently like the exception rather than the rule. He was the one fucking with the humans while the other elves, you know, stayed on the side of the border. So, hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's, you know, like that kind of trumped up our expectations. And I'm curious to see if there's more to it than just, oh, you know, the elves stay over there by the trees. I don't really wonder. I wonder if it's just like that or if there's a reason they keep to themselves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Moving on, everyone's uh, pigging out. Oh, sorry, we have this establishing <laughs> shot. I'm not there yet. Uh, it's establishing shot of the exterior of the house. We see the other end of the giant common building. We can see the entrance at the opposite end of the, the shot. Anyway, witches are gathering around the windows to look yeah. in on the new visitors. <laughs> you can see that everyone in the village is you know, yeah, crowding around. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. This probably has not happened in a long time or ever. You you did skip on uh, everyone peeing out, you know, like uh, you've got this shot of uh, Isma, Casca, Ivara, Puck, and Isidro all, you know, uh, stuffing their faces, and uh, it's a, you know, pretty pretty funny one. I don't think we, I think it's been a while since we saw something that caricature, and uh, I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't mean to skip it. I was just on the wrong page at the time. So yeah, uh, it's pretty funny. Also, uh, Farnese, it looks like she's trying to hold Casca back. Yeah. <laughs> but so crazy on it. It's, it's no use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's also funny. Like the cartooniest of them all. And Isidro looks like Bart Simpson. More than <laughs> yeah. Right there, chowing yeah. down. Yeah. Also, it's always funny to me to see Eva Lira also pig out because she's always chiding Puck for acting, you know, the way he does. And then she sees food and she just goes crazy for it. She always looks kind of embarrassed while she's doing it. Like yeah. She looks like she's like ready to burp there. Yeah, I, I, I was about to say, I think she's actually my favorite on this because, yeah, she's also partaking. But, yeah. you know, the best part is she pigs out, but she still managed to be snooty about it and say, oh, for us, biscuits were better, you know? So it's like, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, it's good, but, you know, I've had better than that. <laughs> and Puck just looks completely deformed. Yeah. Super, super deformed. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. also just a funny way of deflating Guts' impatience. It's like, ah, we can't stay here, we gotta go, and everyone's picking out, and she's like, ah, fine. Yeah, that's where he kind of gives up. It's actually actually what Guest tells him as well. It's like, oh, your companions seem to be enjoying (laughs) the food, you know? He's like, all right. (laughs) I also like how Magnifico is, you know, uh, playing the novel again, you know? I mean, this guy just never stops, you know? He's like, yeah, bring me my tea, bring me my food. (laughs) And gets, you know, gets chided on by Roderick. (laughs) <laughs> You'd think he'd be just happy to be alive at this point, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, he probably still hope he can manage to overtake the island from the King of Elves or something. Yeah, mm. I think he's got a short memory. <laughs> not yet. He's not there yet. We'll see what his grand plan is in a few episodes. Can't wait. Um, it's just a small, small vertical slice panel, but I do like that Isidro, I'm sorry, Serpico and Guts acknowledge that they can kind of rest easy for a little bit, you know, after such a long journey and constantly fighting to protect everyone around them. Yeah. And yeah they can actually feel the, the exhaustion for yeah. once. Yeah. Indeed. It's nice. And then, yeah, then we get the establishing shot and I jumped ahead to, uh, and I also like the, this is the design, the circular table. I like how it's designed to the, like it's carved into the trunk of a tree is what it looks like. <laughs> 
It's very yeah, cool. Yeah, it's pre- pretty neat. Yeah, I like that with the, you know, cauldron at the middle and everything. Mm-hmm. Sounds very uh, familiar, you know. Yeah, it's very traditional design, having the heat source in the very center and then people yeah. crowd around that, you know. Seems very ancient. <clears throat> and I also like that, that in that shot, Guts brought his dragon slayer you know, all the way over there, tucked it right behind him, just in case. You never Don't, know. Never, don't want to leave it at the door. One of that is that smaller panel a few pages uh, from now where you just see it sort of, you know, innocuously sitting behind him, taking up the whole length of the couch, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, again, it fits his character. He's always of like course. that. So uh, it's it's kind of cool that even in a place like that, he never, you know, like his guts. He never stops, yep. you know. That's yeah. exactly yeah. it. While Molda is just sleeping at the side, you know, at least <laughs> pre- pretending to like the rebellious teenager she is. <laughs> so, yeah, also everyone, all the other witches take their hats off. Uh, the elders keep their hats on, but except for Morda, who's not sitting at the table when she keeps her hat on on the outskirts there. As you say, acting like a rebellious teen. <laughs> um, they get right down to it. They're hearing about their travels, and ask, uh, Kuka asks if it was real. All those stories, and Shirka says yes. So it's nice that they're kind of they. Mira kind of edited out that part and just kind of just gave us a brief overview of their travels. So we're they're up to speed on relatively how they got here to this point. It's actually what I find interesting is that they even told that you know like those travels like you know oh yeah we fought the cushion monsters and that kind of stuff uh i, I think it's just pretty cool that they even bother to tell these strangers about that hmm. i think it's kind of a natural way of opening a conversation if you're just meeting somebody like oh how'd you get here how, how was the how was the trip how was well, the flight <laughs> thinking, uh, in this case it's like it's finally people you can kind of talk freely to about these things you know like mm. well we've got our own magical bona fides here you know yeah. <laughs> we've been experiencing true um ged i can't remember what the, what the text is of course but uh ged begins talking about he mentions the how the world has changed and guts asks for more detail this time and so ged obliges him and Tells him, asks them if they've noticed the world spiral tree or the branches in the sky. And I actually liked um, that when they first say world spiral tree, I think it's uh, Sidro who says that he'd heard that term before, or the world tree had he had heard that term before in a, in a storybook or something, which is you know news to me that this is an established concept in their culture and you know background lore. So that was an interesting little detail. Yeah, yeah, it um, it's how to say anchors it in the world, you know, as part of the many legends that were mm-hmm. passed down. So yeah, it's interesting. And- I also like how he, like you said, he mentions the branches. He starts like that, you know, like mm-hmm. have you seen these things? And it's cool because we like God's did see these across the moon, you know, and we, yeah. we saw him seeing them. So uh, it's kind of cool that it refers to that as a kind of telltale sign that the things are, are changed and the trees there. And I also like the detail of Roderick giving like a, a practical reason, you know, how they can use it to navigate instead of the stars. Yeah. It's like a grounded explanation for how it's useful to have those. Yeah, that's what really sort of stuck it in the real world to me. Yeah. Like that really grounded it where it's like, oh, wow, yeah, you know, semen would start mm-hmm. using it to, you know, guide them and everything. So I thought that was really cool. Just that little navigational mm-hmm. use yep. for it. I yeah. agreed. Very, like, small detail, but that goes a long way into uh, credibilizing the scene. Yeah. Azil, you're way more familiar with the text beyond this point. Do you mind taking over just this part? 
Uh, no, sure. So, uh, yeah, Ged explains that the branches are that of the tree, you know, the war tree. So it's a legendary giant tree that is said to connect heaven, earth, and the netherworld. So in the legends. Uh, and yeah, that obviously refers to the uh, three worlds we know of, which are the corporeal world, the astral world, and the ideal world. So, <clears throat> Shuruke uh, bounces off that. Isidro says, like you mentioned, that he heard it in some fairy tale. <clears throat> And then Ged uh, mentions that uh, it's a bit more complicated than uh, children's tale when you get the magical analysis with it. <clears throat> so uh, Shuruke, clever girl as she always is, uh, asks him if she means the world of dragons. And Ged is like, oh, you know, you re- must be the purple of flora, you must have studied much and stuff. And then he launches to his explanation of <clears throat> um, what it all means. So basically... Uh, the tree is piercing very deep uh, into the astral world and the corporeal world. It's like a giant crack, you know, a raptor that pierces through it. And on the panel, he says so, that, you know, double page, uh, you see that actually the tree viewed in two dimensions. I thought it was pretty neat. It actually does look like a crack, you know. Uh, and, You're referring uh, to the bottom of the two-page spread? Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, at the big bottom page where you see Ged's face on the left and then there's a thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I thought it was like, I think it's what Mira tried to do by showing it like that, you know, as this white thing on the colored background. <clears throat> and so I thought it was pretty neat. So yeah, it's a it's really a rupture. Um, so if it's a rupture, if it's a crack, you know, my first thought when I heard that terminology involved with this was that, you know, if it's a crack, could it spread? Could it rupture further? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it's an aberration in the world, you know, if, if it's truly disrupting the balance of the world, then is this only the beginning? Is this state of the world the way it is the only the beginning? Or is that crack potentially more dangerous to the world uh, than we even know of now? Indeed. And what I think is a clue to the answer uh, to the answer of that question is the fact the trees that were preventing, that were sealing uh, the giant tree, uh, you know, we're preventing it from piercing through the world. So, you know, and by the fact, you know, be- between that explanation and the fact it's a tree and the trees tend to grow, I think it probably can evolve. Yeah, it can probably keep growing. Mm. So, of course, we don't have the confirmation yet. But, yeah, I, I think it's uh, probable that uh, it's not just a static, you know, situation carved in stone. It probably can grow. Uh, grow up or maybe even retract, you know, I don't know. You could probably also deduce it just from the reaction of Ged to this being the state of the world. And when he learns about this being Griffith's plan all along, he's basically, you can, and I'm frustrated is the wrong word, but, you know, obviously this state of the world is not healthy. And so my question is, is it merely that he's lamenting the fact that humans can no longer live safe or is it more of a world crisis than that? You know, if he knows that it will spread, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a bigger deal than just humans having a tough time. I mean, mm. this guy uh, has been living on a remote island for likely a very, very long time. Uh, so I don't think he's necessarily, uh, yeah, super concerned for the fate of random people. He might mm. be, but I think there's more to it than just that. I mean, so far, uh, I've seen, uh, some readers who were really fixated on Falconia and the fact like what happened to the world was really just, so that Falconia could exist or whatever, but I think it's uh, it's more complicated than that. Like that's a component, but the effect on the world is just larger than you know simply having this city being created. I think and that's a natural like 
reasoning you would make because Falcone has been made the explicit example for the new state of the world. However, that's merely the focus that Miura has paid to it. I mean, I would think it's obvious that he has bigger plans than just bringing Falcone into the world. There's probably other plots in the background, of course. Yeah, Falconia is uh, like an important, even a key component, but, you know, there would be side effects and, yeah. you know, other effects besides that. So, anyway, uh, Isma is not, like, doesn't really understand the concept of crack, and I, I like what Mira chose here. He, he has Shuke say uh, that she should think uh, of it as, like, the den of a mole. So, a mole, you know, like, uh, how to say, burrowing through the earth and, you know, creating these tunnels, and that's the kind of crack uh, it is. Because it's not just, like, on the panel I was referring earlier, uh, you see like a two-dimensional, you know, view of the tree, but it's like a crack in, I don't know, four or five dimensions, whatever you want to call it, but it's not just, you know, like it's, it's a crack in, a, you know, more dimensions that there are in the real world. So I think that's also uh, an interesting thing, thing to think about, you know, the kind of, hmm. the way the uh, astral world, copper world, you know, are, uh, how to say, superposed with each other, but not like in a way humans can usually represent right so anyway unless you want to say something no no i was gonna what i was going to say was i'm, I'm sure you were going to get to it was the connection or the different pa- types of paths the, yeah. the, path, the path of elves and the path of dragons and um the distinguishing part i mean actually i was going to rely on you to, to explain the distinguishing part i in my opinion it was more like a, a road of the path of elves is kind of like a casual you might even stumble into it by accident whereas the path of dragons is a very specialized, very like larger scope kind of path meant for yeah uh, particular reasons kind of thing. It's um yeah it's actually uh, pretty simple. Um, you know the metaphor is that there's two paths like the path of elves and the path of dragons or road of elves, road of dragons, and uh, the road of elves is a a benign thing. So even during full moon. Uh, a, a kid could, you know, by chance, by happenstance, get to cross into the astral world, uh, you know, by, you know, following, you know, uh, that in the forest, for example, following an elf or something and, you know, get into a, a shallow part of the astral world. So, as a reminder, the astral world is a layered world. So, it has many layers and there are many territories in these layers. So things like the Cliffoth or uh, Frost Domain, for example. <clears throat> and so, yeah, you could just get to, I don't know, like a kid managed to find, yeah, a, a town of elves or something in the forest. And, and that that particular phenomenon is, is grounded in a term that most fantasy readers will be familiar with, the fairy roads. People, anybody living in, you know, countrysides in the UK or the Ireland or elsewhere in Europe might have come across or heard about these fairy roads, which are basically just old paths that people in the country kind of just say, oh, don't go there. You don't go over that wall. It's a fairy path. You know, you might end up in fairy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read these kind of things in various fantasy novels, but there there is a real world kind of connection with people's folklore beliefs about how fairies, fairy world and the, the human world connect. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's a slightly, like, there's a slight difference bit because like uh, in Irish folklore, if I remember well, uh, those are invisible paths that you shouldn't, uh, build on or cross because it will upset, uh, you know, fairies which are you right. know, invisible creatures. But you don't really cross over the wall. But yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think the inspiration is uh, is there. Anyway, the second one, the bigger one, is called the Road of Dragons. And here again, I mean, it's a metaphor. So you got the elf; it's small, 
and harmless and the dragons is big and dangerous. Mm. And oh, there so, we go. So yeah. Now it makes a lot more sense. I didn't yeah. think about that. <laughs> yeah, the, well, beings I mean, that, the beings that would use those paths being in scope. Okay. Now yeah. it makes a lot more sense to me now. Well, you know, I mean, always got to help. So anyway, uh, this is connected to deeper parts of the astral world. And as he explains that, so uh, Ged explains that, you see a picture of the vortex of souls, uh, you know, in the background. So that gives you an idea of how deep uh, this is supposed to go. So, yeah. And, um, you know, what's interesting after that is that Ged goes right ahead and tells Gus, oh, the egg you carry at your waist uh, is, uh, you know, something that can be used to reach the abyss and it opens the road of dragons to reach the abyss. So it's, uh, first it shows us a get new guts at a beheard without like he just knew it. So well, he knew because as I foretold in the last episode, there was a detector at the door and it went, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> a silent alarm went off when <laughs> the Behirat crossed into the threshold. The, t- the TSA of Elfhelm was on the case. <laughs> or maybe it's just because he's a badass, you know, could, could be. User. Could be. <laughs> Either way, we can't say for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, any, anyway, so it, it, it's, um, again, it's a way, what, what I find interesting is that we already know, like, this is nothing new. We already knew that there are shallow parts of the outer world. We already mm-hmm. knew that the full moon uh, boosts magic and that it allows people to do stuff. We already knew that uh, children can sometimes, by some kind of random chance, uh, find a, an elf or find something like that. And we also knew that a Beherit can bring people to the abyss and that the abyss is much, much deeper in the astral world. So none of that is new, but it's a way through this. It explains first how these uh, you know, magic users are actually uh, tied all together and having make sense in their worldview. And it's also a way to uh, rationalize and, how to say, solidify all, how all these things work together in the world. So it's a pretty neat way to well, do it. It also ties all those together to the world tree. You know, the world yeah. tree appeared when the worlds were merged. The world tree's appearance, and of course, what we'll discuss later, is tied to the spiritual tree's decline and the, creates the bounty around Falconia. But it also is the pathway or the medium through which all these other paths between worlds exist. So Miura has mm-hmm. bound everything up, tied into one nice, neat little nest uh, right there in the center of the, you know, yep. all that in, change. Indeed. And of course, the uh, what's not said but implied is that the uh, war spiral tree uh, opens up the road of dragons. So mm-hmm. that's how, you know, like maybe even, I don't know if it's just one road or whatever, but at least like it's tied to it. And the world tree has already been, even before we introduced these concepts, Mir has shown us that it can be used as a form of transportation with the boy in the moonlight using the branches to transport himself. Indeed. Very quickly, distant places. So that was already, the groundwork was already laid, but now we have the terminology and the broader world understanding of how that will be used. Yeah, and the relationship uh, with the deeper parts of the astral world is also already established right before uh, Ganeshka explodes when you see uh, through him and also through the apostles who are dead at his feet, uh, you see the vortex, you know. Right. And so right. just before it happens. <clears throat> so basically my fake chapter preview, from or episode preview, I should say, from that time when Ganeshka was exploding with idea coming out of him, that could really happen. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't far then. It's still not very yeah. far now. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
But um, yeah, and so then we, we get uh, a part uh, which is uh, reminiscent of Volume 24 where Ged asks the guys uh, if the Barret is yours or if it's just his carrier. So uh, <clears throat> Gus actually uh, refers to that thing, ah, magicians, you know, witches, whatever, you know, and explains he's heard the same thing when he was in with Flora before. Right, he uses the same word. He uses her words against Ged. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, well, I mean, he just says that, and you know, you can actually see that Shuriki smiles at that, you know, because she remembers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's interesting is that Puck, you know, scenes that he's really close to the first one, says, and hey, I told you before that it's mine, and, you know, yeah. snaps the Barret from his hand. So, yeah. Mira uh, is not letting off that. He is not letting us forget the connection between Puck and the Barret. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, it's been established a long time ago. And of course. I'm saying been, he had an opportunity to just say whatever, but he stomped his foot down and did it again. Yep. Just yep, like yep. in 24. Indeed, and I, I'm actually, so it's something uh, I'm curious to know what you guys think about, but I don't think it's a coincidence he chose to uh, reiterate that. And, you know, like the connection between Puck and the Barret, uh, you know, it really goes back to the Black Souls Monarch. Yeah. And I'm, um, yeah, I'm really curious to know what you guys think, because I think we, we don't know yet what roles that Barret will play. You know, I, I don't think it will be used by someone to become an apostle because I don't think that makes much sense anymore. Like gods who just yeah. kill that person. So, but, and now the god and are, you know, god and it's easy in the world and everything. But yeah, I think, you know, Puck's relationship with Barret might be, how to say, a hint as to what's to come. Like maybe one thought I had that Puck's influence would have like thwarted the connection to Barry could you, have with to the. You it, took it the words evil. from my mouth, you <laughs> bastard! I'm, so, I'm sorry. You guys do that all the time to me, so I'm just. <laughs> so since the very beginning, Puck and the Bee here have had a close connection, and Puck's always very close to it, hugging it, moving it along. I actually wonder if his, as you say, his influence or his proximity to the Bee here. Would have an influence on it, and just as an example, not that it's a one to one the same, but in the same way that Gut's sword was changed because of its astral connection with uh, hitting different specters and apostles over across the years, its nature was changed. I wonder if the Behira has been somehow subtly influenced by Puck's existence and its attachment yeah. to it. And like we've he's... seen it interact with him, like you know, the, its aisle open. We've seen it, I think, you know, mm-hmm. have a little sweat, oh, yeah. you know, symbol yeah. on it, you know, when, Men... when Puck's behaving strangely. Like, and we know that the. the Elf dust in general has a special property to it. You know, maybe there's something else happening with the proximity, the attachment there. I don't, I don't know, but that was yeah. just a thought that occurred to me to this, that during this discussion of the episode. Yeah, also, that's a cool thought that, that like something that was kind of like always like a throwaway comedic moment could turn out to be a big part of the story. Yeah, and also don't think you're supposed to feed Barrett's. <laughs> you're so well as skull knight would say you're supposed to eat behirit yeah so, you know yeah he's doing it the other way around it's, yeah. it's only gonna it's only gonna accept cheese as a sacrifice now it's broken yeah, yeah. I, I think buck may have fucked it up so like <laughs> anyway yeah all these things i think it may you know if he, even if he's just countering the effects or something or whatever but you know i i think yeah i think there's something going on there so it's it will be interesting to see what it is I mean, it could be interesting if it was just sort of truly their own to use mm-hmm. as they see fit rather than for, you know, starting a ceremony, essentially, if they could use it, you know, just as a key. Because it's been described more neutrally that way, too, that it's a key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it may, yeah, that may just be its purpose. It may turn out for it to be a key for them to, you know, 
do whatever whatever important thing they need to do with it other than uh, its traditional purpose yeah it would have to be yeah to me the really the key part here is that it would have to be disconnected from the will of like its master creator right. you know EDF evil so yeah that that part is really once it's cut off from the you know mothership then who knows what could happen with it you know so it's a rogue maybe, element maybe, Maybe Guts can, I don't know, try to uh, slover it all over the Dragon Slayer. Maybe she spread it really thin. <laughs> he can, you know, kind of replicate the Skull Knight sword, you know? <laughs> or just, just fry it like an egg on the end and then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> use that part to hit, you know? Put, the put, it, on the, put it on the tip, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. You know, the, the witches uh, who are, you know, spying outside the window are uh, kind of afraid of, of the thing. And Puck tries to tell them, no, no, uh, he's nice. Look, he likes cheese. And they're just like, ah, it's horrible. So, again, <laughs> another comedic moment. And Ivarela is, uh, how to say, dismayed to see that he's really the same. Like, you know, he's not any different because he's home, you know. He's always like that. He's even worse, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> Just as obnoxious as ever. Pretty much, yeah. So, Florica, Shurke cuts to the chase asking about the uh, Forest of Spiritual Trees, which is what Ged had mentioned in the previous episode. And they actually, all three gurus kind of chime in with their own uh, explanation of, of what had happened. I had said it was one in particular, but really you can see the speech bubbles coming from all of them. They all kind of join in to describe the scenario. Yeah, I like that there's not, I like it's not just get talking, that these mm-hmm. guys are, you know, it shows they're on an equal footing and all of them, uh, can hold their weight. I also like the fact that Shuruke, now it's not always Guts who's like, tell me what it's about, whatever. This time it's Shuruke who's like, oh yeah, thank you for that, but like, could you not tell us what we really want to know, mm-hmm. uh, about the attack? And of course it makes sense because like she, you know, she's directly concerned her master was killed during one such attack, so it makes sense for her to be curious about it. Right. So, yeah, anyway, uh, you know, they explain that uh, that term, forest of spiritual trees, is a kind of general term referring to a land that is, you know, uh, where giant trees exist. Um, And these trees are parasite trees that are spiritually... Or astrally rooted on the tree, you know, the giant uh, war spire tree. So uh, it's basically like Flora's place. You've got this big tree, one or several. Uh, they exist in the, you know, interstice or at least in a part of the astral world, you know, a shallow part. And they're spiritually rooted on the, you know, world tree. And there are parasites, and that uh, parasitic nature is what. Uh, allows them, or at least what makes them a kind of seal, because uh, since they siphon the power of the word spire tree, they prevent it to grow, and they prevent its branches to uh, pierce through the corporeal world. So we can imagine that uh, each time one of its branches would pierce through the corporeal world, it would be opening the road of dragons, mm-hmm. and these trees used to prevent that, so they were spread all over the world in specific places, and uh, they filled that role. Yeah, I, I like the idea of this, that these trees that are basically like, you know, spiritual weeds that are holding back this giant, you know, all-powerful tree that wants to wants to make the world split or wants to, its, it's branches kind of want to pierce worlds that would create chaos for humans. But these seals have made the, the world more occupiable by humans over time. Uh, which is the other big thing that we revealed this this in this episode was that 
Uh, Ged mentions that the, the ancient chaos uh, will, be, will be returning from when the real world and the astral world were mixed together. So, uh, you know, for many years, we've gone back and forth about what the true nature of the world was, you know, thousand years ago or maybe even thousands of years ago. Uh, but it appears to have been confirmed now that, you know, mixing the astral and physical worlds was the default state of things until the seals were established, which made the world less chaotic. Yeah, so we we don't. I mean, we don't exactly know if like the world was born in a like primitive state where it was merged, or whether maybe there's the kind of cycles, or maybe it was like that. Then it was you know stopped. But yeah, what's for sure is that uh, you know a long time ago it was a case the reward and the astral world were merged. It was a, a time of chaos where you know astral creatures roamed the world, and then these trees. Uh, came up either were planted and created by, you know, presumably magic users, or just came to be naturally, or maybe an event caused them to be able to grow. But in any case, it happened, and you know that's what allowed the worlds to uh, slowly, you know, split apart as the trees grew and uh, took off or siphoned the power of the world spider tree. <clears throat> And I wish I knew more about plants and trees to know the deeper <laughs> like meaning and you know you know uh, thing that Mira was going for between time to ask JMP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's I mean, it's the deeper I symbol symbolic meaning. <laughs> I don't think it's too complicated to understand. Like, I mean, a parasite is a parasite. You know, it feeds off something to grow itself, mm -hmm. and by feeding off of it, it will uh, you know uh, how to say. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get that relationship. And I, kept it I, in I, check. Yeah, yeah, I know pretty, that much. I guess I just mean like, is there, is there more of a poetic meaning to that, you know, behind that or not? That I just wouldn't know if I wasn't a gardener. Well, kind of you know, I mean, all. It, it always sounds better, uh, you know, in Japanese than in English, obviously. It's true. Like Mura uses complicated words, and you know, he, like, he often uses his kind of, you know, four kanji, you know, expressions. Like I wouldn't say often, <laughs> but he does it sometimes, you know. So it's kind of some things that even goes back to China. You know, they have a lot of stuff like that. It's like some kind of proverb. So mm -hmm. there's all this stuff, and you know, is that part of the of the episode? Uh, there's some stuff that's not entirely clear because of the fact uh, we we don't have you know I don't have the young animal yet, so I don't have the Japanese thing, and but I couldn't check it. But you know about the the fact these trees themselves exist. You know uh, how to say, like not just in the corporeal world of the astral world, but in both. So again, just like at Frost Place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there may be a relationship between the tree and them, a kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe, um, you know, regarding the world of ideas, the fact, you know, th there could be, you know, if you refer to Plato's theory of forms, you know, like a projection of it. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know yet about all that stuff, but it's possible there's also that kind of aspect to it. Hmm. Um. We see this panel of Flora. We've already mentioned it before, but Flora was one of the caretakers for one of those spiritual trees. And uh, I can't remember if I said it already or not, but it establishes that at some time in the past, there were caretakers established here to make sure that these seals stayed in place. So it, it, it implies that there was a time when a transition happened, you know, maybe a thousand years ago. Just throwing that out, you're out well, there. Yeah, of course it makes sense. And it's interesting yeah. that... From what they explain, uh, you know, you know, magic users used to stay at these trees and guard them and also study them and, you know, uh, them and their power. So, you know, again, it's a, a pretty strong hint, I think, that, yeah, there was a, a will and a force behind these trees and behind that, you know, ceiling, 
aspect. <clears throat> yeah. So, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so yeah, Flora was one of these magicians and then the guru transition and explains that now almost all these forests of spiritual trees around the world have been burned to ashes. So because of that, the world tree has got more power and the ancient world, uh, the ancient chaos of the ancient world uh, is going to come back. So, you know, I guess now we know what Zad has been so busy doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it could could very well have been that, but we don't know exactly what the timing of all this was. Like, to me, if you would just lay all these details out to me on paper, I would say that all those trees were destroyed so that when Griffith finally ripped open Ganeshka, that that tear would be permanent, basically. You know, to to actually bring that tree Mm -hmm. in and to change the world, then that's done. So where do we go from A to B now? If the world has already changed, are there, are they progress? Are they proceeding to destroy more trees? And if so, to what end? I don't know. No. Yeah. Yeah. I I meant like before, uh, before Ganishka uh, exploded. Yeah. I I think the, the trees. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make much sense. Maybe they could finish off the remaining ones, I guess, to help Mm -hmm. the tree grow more. But obviously the idea is that they, destroyed the forest before that so off screen something we didn't see and are not going to see uh, and then when Ganishka uh, went up and took all the power from the abyss and was ripped open it could you know like th- that combination of the seals being gone him being ripped open that power exploding that allowed the tree to materialize I think that's that's how it's supposed yep. to be I mean before we didn't even have to we didn't even know about the spiritual trees and the math of it still made sense. Like a foreign deep in the astral world presence suddenly being thrust into the physical world. You can see how that would smash the barriers. If the precedent being Griffith's presence in the physical world was already thinking things thin, suddenly the appearance of this super magical, super astral thing would diminish those barriers to, you know, would decimate those barriers. Yeah. But now we know the spiritual trees and it's even further grounded. So it's a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, it basically reinforces our understanding of how things were. It's just there was this other thing as well that would have protected the world and it was broken. So, mm. yeah, like you said, in addition to Femto being incarnated and to Ganishka doing what he did. It's also, I think, it's interesting to remember that Ganishka's shape generally as Shiva uh, was, you know, kind of reminiscing of the tree itself. So Yeah. yeah. Well, and sure. it's interesting to think about that. Was, I've been thinking about that. Is it just a... Uh coincidence or is that you know he went sort of down into the road of dragons sort of pulled Mm. you know the shape of it out in a in that form and then again when skull knight you know destroyed him that sort of pulled the 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 whatever was inside him out and just left that in its place you know when the world changed and obviously the trees are destroyed so it's interesting to think of how all this in concert griffith setting it up destroying the trees making it possible and ganishka and skull knight sort of finishing it off yeah, I don't want to call it a co- I don't want to call it a coincidence, but if well, you're I, I don't think it was. I'm just saying you know, it would be no, a no. pretty big coincidence if. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like I, what I mean is, I don't think Ganeshka intended to have that form. I think if you watch it, remember right. when he spilled forth, he's actually this big goo, and he forces himself to manifest arms so he can push himself up. You know, he he doesn't like come out shaped like he was initially. You know, he right. forms himself into that weird shape uh, uh, yeah. over a little bit of time. Uh, I'm not sure he even forms himself. I think he just spills out, you know, like yeah. he's just, you really? know. Really? I've always thought, I, mean, I think he even says something. There's some kind of like wording about him but trying to manifest. But is he just filling out like the sort of, is he just, is the tree almost like it's already there like a shell 
and he's mm. filling it out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I know what you mean, Walter. It's not. Uh, I don't think we're disagreeing. It's just that I think, how to say, it's really it, to me. It always uh, felt like it was spilling, like he was spilling forth into the corporate world because he doesn't actually come out of the artificial behavior. He just becomes it, you know. That's why mm-hmm. those faces are there. He just like he fills out that fleshly space and he just keeps expanding, expanding, expanding until he becomes what he is. So that's why the arms, like you see the arms piercing through the city. So they're like mm-hmm. growing under, like under the, the city itself, I think, you know, that's at like least roots. that's how I've, yeah, at least that's how I've, I've always uh, pictured it. So in any case, yeah, I think what's interesting here is to ponder the relationship between the tree and the abyss because we know that that's where he went, the abyss, and he grabbed evil power, as he says. So, like, you know, presumably the tree would be connected to that. So Absolutely. I mean, I think I think we've been discussing this in 2010 or so, and when the, the tree finally pops, sorry, when Ganeshka finally pops, and you see inside of it, you see the vortex of souls, as you've already mentioned, and prior to that, Ganeshka had mentioned himself going, to, piercing to the deep layer of the astral world, and he mentions the abyss at the end of one of the episodes in volume 33, so yeah, I think it's pretty clear. In addition to that, the fact that Ganeshka's form that he took was this amalgamation of faces, right? It was, yeah. if you can imagine the vortex of souls, is composed of multiple souls, and Ganeshka kind of forced his will onto all of them, propagating his face across all of them. That's how I've always connected the vortex to whatever he brought out from there, yep. to the form that he eventually took. And there's something I think that reinforces uh, that connection, which is uh, like the general folklore, or I guess you could say mythos of the world tree. So it's something that exists in many, many, many kinds of uh, mythologies. <clears throat> and you know, like the general idea is that these giant trees that connects, yeah, like the heaven to the nether world, and at the bottom there's usually a lake. And yeah, like the vortex, like, is obviously part of, you know, a kind of liquid thing. Like, not obviously, but it is. It's mm-hmm. been, you know, like, there's been a, a thematic uh, connection with water throughout the series, you know, for that part of things, like an ocean of souls. And the vortex is a part of that ocean. And so it would make sense for the roots of the trees to be in that ocean. Of oh, that's so smart. Another water connection. Yeah. So, Yet another. <laughs> yep. So I, I think that's, you know, and like for the branches to be piercing the sky, the copper world, it, it just makes sense. Like it goes through, it goes from the, you know, the bottom of the astral world or even, you know, maybe the world of ideas, you know, uh, in, into that big ocean and, you know, the branches pierces through the copper world. So it just, just makes sense. Right. And then I think you'd said, you know, there was a moment when you were working with Puella in the background and you sent me a chat message and all you'd all you'd give me a preview of, of the summary was that Miura is a genius. <laughs> and that's all you said for like a good two hours while you were busy working. And then I finally see it. And like, I didn't know exactly what you meant at first, but it soon became pretty clear to me. And that is like the way Miura transitions from all these world building things, all these revelations, and then ties it back to like, you know, the, the core conflict of the series, you know, making guts relevant, making that, that Griffith and guts relationship relevant to the entire, you know, world changing events, you know, and, and Ged's the one that brings it to a head asking him, why would the, you know, the Falcon do such a thing? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've, uh, I should let you guys speak because I already talked about that in the forum, but I think it's pretty great that after this kind of like super, complex, you know, spiritual explanations that, 
Like everything, everything, you know, these guys, like these four guys, uh, should fly over everyone, you know, in terms of knowledge, experience, intellectual power, everything. But, you know, at the end of the episode, you got Get saying, okay, now I, I'm the one who got a question for the man in black because, you know, uh, he has a deep relation to him and he means Griffiths. And so again, like just that establishes Get as, okay, I'm not fucking around. I know who you are. I know what you did. I know, like, I don't need you to tell me. People were, you know, before the episode post saying, oh, maybe Gus will tell these guys about the eclipse and stuff, but he doesn't even need to because, like, the, the gurus already know about the relation, already know about everything. So anyway, yeah, he asks him, who the hell is a falcon of light? And, you know, why is he fucking up the world like that? What desire led him to be reborn as a god and angel desire? So that's like a big, you know, fucking... An almost moment, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's great that it just all it comes to the same point, basically. The huge astral explanations and, like you said, the central conflict of the story, they all go the same way. And it yep. all centralizes here on Guts at the end. You know, he's the only one who can really answer the question. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. because and that, yeah. his personal experience makes him relevant. And I, I just really love the way Miura like opened that door. You know, Gut doesn't immediately answer. He sits there with his chin lifted a bit, thinking to himself about how he he came here, distancing himself from distancing his thoughts from Griffith. Yeah. And here he's being asked about Griffith to actually grapple with that relationship. And now he's got people basically that you know he's like keeping it a secret, but yeah. you know these people already know. You know, and it's right. like it means something more and something different to them than it does to him. And it's like it's interesting to see him sort of rectify the fact that you know the significance of it and the significance of him in this. Because for him, I mean, I think he still looks at this as just, it's nothing but his own personal, you know, quest. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of realizing that it's like, well, no, it's all tied together. So it's... Yeah. It's the scope really suddenly cool changed moment. for Guts as well, you know. It's no and longer, I also think, said. I think it's also, you know, we keep, you know, as was saying, how it sort of makes Guts important to the world at large. And I also think it's, uh, it ties into a bigger thing for him where he is sort of a significant man in and of himself. It's not just that he happens yeah. to know an important guy, but that there's something special about him, too. And there was something special about him that Griffith recognized, and that Flora recognized, and that Skull Knight recognized. And I think that, you know, if Ged doesn't already, he'll pro- you know, it will probably be recognized. So that's well, another uh, interesting I, thing. I think he already does. One of the things yeah. I, I thought was great here is that <clears throat> from a gut reaction where he says oh i've i've reached this place by uh, you know refraining my you know restraining my fixation about griffiths which is basically like we already know but he he really had to make a big you know i wouldn't say sacrifice but <clears throat> he abandons that part of his you know uh, what he wanted to be in order to protect casca and bring her here but you know, as soon as he arrives on the island, the first question he's asked is about Griffiths. So, yeah, I think it's also a way to establish in the story that guts, like no matter where he goes, he can't. Like he, can, mm. it's not that he he was not running away, but he even if he wanted to, he can't run away. He can't hide from this because now, like the the scale on which Griffiths impacts the world is just you know absolute. Griffiths impacts the whole world, and you know I think it's a I wouldn't say we're already transitioning to when Guts will have to leave the island to go back and face Griffiths, but yeah, I think you know like, this the is groundwork the... is already you can right. see it. Yeah, seeds are being yeah. planted. Exactly, the stakes are there now. Yep. 
So yeah, uh, the again. worst thing would be uh, the worst thing would be if they're like, you know, well, if you want us to cure Casca, first we're going to need you to deal with this Falcon of yours. <laughs> <laughs> like, someone no. actually brought up a brought up. A th- uh, I think someone has speculation in the thread about that. Like, you'll have to go kill Griffith, and then you'll then mm. so go over there, go back to the continent, kill that guy, come back, <laughs> then. <laughs> With Hilkaska. Yeah, we've we got yeah. an assassination mission for you. We <laughs> need to kill the most powerful being in the yeah. universe. <laughs> Just walk in there and stab him. Big deal. <laughs> I see. Yes. I see like some black smoke stuff around your sword. You'll be fine. You're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's magically <laughs> viable. Yeah. Um, before we go too much further, I like that Ged uh, says he, you know, kind of explored the territory around the world spiral, world spiral tree, and saw mention, you know, Falconia. He brings Falconia into the, onto the table as well, and says that it grew up kind of in the eye of the storm, where it's it's safe there, it's calm there, and humans can prosper because of their proximity to the tree itself. And actually, I didn't think about it until now, but it's interesting that I had always assumed because of the appearance and the form of the wingstones that those protective barriers existed because of Griffith's influence and because of Falconia and all that. But really, it's more like the stones aren't protecting Falconia necessarily, but they're protecting the tree, and Falconia happens to be in the shadow of the tree, so it's benefiting from those same protections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a kind of... Uh, Confluence. He says there's a war that says that basically the, the, the tree uh, has a certain spiritual power that makes it so that the land is full of life and becomes like he's a... Jose, uh, shielded from evil spirits. Obviously, not mm-hmm. shielded enough because otherwise, apostles and Griffiths couldn't be there. But at least <laughs> it prevents like pests, vermin like trolls and hydras and harpies and whatever to uh, attack people. So, yeah, it's interesting. It seems a very specialized defense. You know, like it's like you say, it has an effect of apostles. In fact, that's mm. never even been addressed. So it seems a very specialized kind of thing. Yeah, I see. I think it's just that the kind of power it emits just will mm-hmm. keep. You know, astral creatures at bay in general, and we shouldn't forget that, uh, how to say, apostles and, you know, femto and stuff like that. They are not, like, they're not necessarily, I wouldn't say they're artificial. Their power is artificial, but it's not the same kind of power as probably that of the tree or, you know, the trolls and stuff like that. They're, you know, because they're based on humans. So I'm not sure, you know, I don't know if that makes a difference or not, you know. Well, it goes back to the question, I mean, we've just sort of theorized about it before, that is this remaking of the world, you know, from the way it was and the way it used to be, you know, is it for the purpose of, you know, the God Hand sort of taking over the old world? Did they have to unmerge everything to merge it back together mm-hmm. to their liking? Or did someone, you know, unmerge it in order to stop them from doing whatever they're planning to do now? A thousand years ago. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think like I think it shows very simply in Falconia, for example. Falconia is geyser exhaust city, but it's just remodeled, and now it's just Falconia. So, and I think, you know, in many ways, even uh, the you know the tale of Griffiths as a you know conqueror, savior, whatever, compared to that of Geyseric, I think it's. Uh, I've always thought it hinted at the fact. The story happening now is kind of a twisted version of what already happened in the past, but, you know, manipulated so that the God Hand is uh, in control and achieves its goals. And I think, yeah, it may be the case here, obviously. Like, back in the day, we, you know, I mean, at least I assume that uh, magic users were more common and that, you know, very simply because they were more prevalent and people had better knowledge of magical stuff and how the world works, they could 
protect themselves against pests like trolls or you know uh, whatever other creatures because they can could like just like in Enoch, we, we got in Enoch, uh, you know there was a lady of the death and she had a shrine and people could you know pray to her and maybe she would make it so that they were protected. But then the cult of the Holy See came to be and you know while the world was merged, uh, the ancient ways of people also disappeared. You know, the use of magic was wiped out and we got this state where, you know, everything coming back at once, it's just a disaster because people can deal with it now. So the only thing they can do uh, is just rush at the foot of the tree and what's at the foot of the tree is Falconia. So they're now in control uh, of Griffiths and, you know, by extension, the God Hand. So, yeah, I think there's a a good, how to say, many hints that, you know, uh, may lead us to think that. And, yeah, obviously the question of whether the seals were put in place to prevent the God Hand back a thousand years ago from uh, achieving power, yeah, that's that's a big question, actually. I'm, I'm really quite curious to know the answer to that. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that my other question to that, to simplify the, the point, is just, you know, back when the world was like this a thousand years ago, presumably, would a creature like an apostle be able to take, you know, would it be able to exist in the shadow of the tree or would it be repelled similarly? Yeah. And if they, yeah, change the, the chemistry, essentially. Yep. And, you know, yeah, and indeed. So, um, yeah, anyway, I don't know if Walter wants to take, take over or not, but. <laughs> well, uh, I have uh, a few thoughts, but I'll, I'll save them for the thread once they're a little more fully th- fleshed out. But, um, to transition, yeah, from away from the Falconia. I like that now the the chicken... No, that's not the right analogy. What's a good analogy? The cat's out of the bag? Yeah, yeah, that's it. The cat's out of the bag. <laughs> the chicken's out of the, the egg. The, the chicken the crossed out the, the street. <laughs> like at the eclipse. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, man. Too soon. Still got Too a soon. Just, knife in its eye out here. <laughs> and it's uh, Serpico that, that you know, kind of spells it out for him. That, you know, he's always surprised by Guts, but this one in particular is quite a surprise that, that Guts has a connection to someone like the Falcon of Light slash Griffith. And so, yeah, uh, the first of hopefully many more revelations to his companions has, has come. And Farnese, of course, sits there once again, uh, standing back to take notice of how, you know, special Guts is and what this could mean for her, probably. And I mean, uh, she's known for a while, or at least suspected. Yeah, yeah, depending on yeah, which version of Farnese else. we're talking about. Yeah, the... um. Yeah, she's she's known that Griffith had a connection with Guts ever since the uh, since the incarnation ceremony, right. and she, she knew that potentially Guts had a connection with the whatever happened with the Red Lake. But yeah, she's never put things together to the point that she knows now. Yeah, with this scene. I mean, there's a, there's a large part that uh, they haven't put together. It's also because. You know, like the connection between Griffiths, what happened, like the events that happened in the world and everything like that was not necessarily immediately obvious to them, which I think makes sense because, you know, like these are very big scale events. Sure. I mean, we may as well jump to it now since it's the natural next step in this conversation. But do you think that Guts will, this the, the opening 345 or ending 345 with Guts talking about Griffith in this way? That it's a natural segue to 346, him explaining what happened with him and Griffith and why Casca is the way she is. Because well, that's like the missing piece to this whole conversation. I, I think me. you you skipped on the you know comedic moment of Isidro actually putting <laughs> two and two together that guts. Oh, he, 
You, you put two and one together. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> two and two make five. <laughs> so yeah, he's like, okay, so the Falcon of Light is the one who used to be the White Falcon, Griffith, and Guts has a connection to him. And my hero, childhood hero, is a you know hundred man slayer who was part of the band of the Falcon. So it means if Guts knows the leader of the band of the Falcon, he also knew this guy. So he's like, oh, could you introduce him to me, Guts, please? <laughs> so yeah, he, yeah. He actually, I think Isidro is also a frequenter of message boards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a little misinformed. I do like. I do like that you can tell he's trying to use his brain power. He has this elaborate, you know, understanding of things, but it's still just fundamentally wrong or just misguided. Right. Yeah. In any case, yeah, I think I think next episode, I mean, could happen, could not, could uh, not happen. But yeah, I think it would make sense for Guts to elaborate on the connection. And especially, I think, to reveal who Casca is. Because mm-hmm. I think, like, you know, they haven't mentioned her yet, but I think, yeah, I could say... So we knew this guy. We were sacrificed by him in order to achieve his dream. And, you know, uh, so yeah, I was uh, actually the 100 man slayer. And we, which is will, you know, be like, oh, how did I not realize that? <laughs> and then to say, and Zazel saying, you know, all turn around, look at Cascas and who she is. Well, she was, you know, like Cascas, uh, you know, female commander, famous female commander. And then they can all shit their pants again. And finally they can be all the more. How to say, uh, unsure Odd. of herself. It's like, oh, oh, so that's that's who <laughs> I have to compete with now. Okay, fine. <laughs> competition. That's gonna be. I feel like, you know, we've been predicting that kind of conversation for more than six or eight years now, or even longer than that, even. But it, the, the moment never felt right. You know, it never made sense to segue into Guts' past. There was never an opening. It seemed it would seem arbitrary in the past, but but Miura has laid the path for that explanation yeah. now. More than ever, you know. And he's just such a private person that until it had this kind of significance and where he's... I mean, it's really interesting to see just when they're basically speaking to him. It's just like, as was saying about how Guts has become this central figure of importance, you can see this panel of, you know, sort of the wisest magic users in this, you know, capital of magic. And they're sitting in this panel at attention, you know, hanging on his every word. You know, he's the authority here on the subject. And, you know, so mm-hmm. it's just really cool. Yeah. So anyway, I think we we've kind of skipped on the actually main part of this, you know, uh, later part of the episodes, which is they ask Guts like why Griffiths did this, and Guts uh, replies that when they were mercenaries, he said he wanted to have his own country, but then at the end of the episode, you know, he uh, how to say, <clears throat> Guts says ah oh, to take a country or precisely to establish his own country so it's already you know like a step above what Griffiths wanted he wanted just to take you know to become king of a country but now he has established his own I guess city state and you know then he says you know oh he didn't care you know, about the means to reach that goal and Gus actually uh, how to say corrects him to say it's a bit different there was a way around is that the goal you know, uh, how to say, is uh, in function of the means <clears throat> that Griffiths hasn't changed, is that to acquire his country is just a, a passing point, just a stepping mm-hmm. stone. He's a falcon who flies as far as he can go, who takes the highest possible goal, because that's who Griffiths is. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't think I, Guts. I didn't think Guts had it in him. 
to, 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 to establish that. Readers have known that kind of thing about Griffith yeah. in the past, but it's very, it's very insightful. Well, guts. it really, the whole thing is really, it's almost sort of, these are things we've been, you know, having like Q&A sessions about for yeah. years. Like, you know, the irony of Griffith taking a country when he's become a god already, you know. So what's the mm-hmm. point, you know, and to see Guts answer the question so easily, like, well, you know, it's not a means to an end. It's the end to prove the means that he has mm-hmm. the means that he can just, you know, exercise his will. Yep. <clears throat> and yeah, I think it's not like, it's not shocking to me at all because like, like you said, it's something we've been saying for like, I don't know, 15 years. Griffiths yeah. in, in this current state to have a country, to have a city, it's just, you know, like it's, it's nothing. He could have, you know, I remember people arguing like, why Griffith's doing all this shit? He could have just, he doesn't need an army. He could just by himself kill everyone one by one, become king of Midland. But yeah, I mean, that was never the point. Like That was never the story that was being yeah. told either. Yeah, it's, it's never been the point, you know, like he just, you know, when he became Femto, his power is so great, so incommensurable. Why would he still have the same dream as when he was a man? When he was a boy, you know, lying in the gutter, he wanted to be king of country because that was the highest thing he could think of. But having become a demigod, you know, uh, of course he wants more than that. And Falconia is obviously a big step in getting that more than that. And I mean, it brings to mind, it's sort of, you know, it, speaking of the the chicken and the egg, you know, it, <laughs> it brings about the idea at least in my mind, it makes me think because we've sort of, you know, in analysis of Griffith, you know, he sort of, you know, did becoming a god hand, becoming, as Guts would say, just a monster. Did it, you know, compromise his dream or was he always meant to be Femto or is even becoming Femto, like Guts is hinting at here, is it a stepping stone? Is that almost something he's just using? You know, is there There's something some... about him that transcends even being a god hand where it's like he would actually, he would betray and, you know, destroy them to get to some other level? I think there's something Rickert says that is interesting about uh, who he is now, who Griffith is now. And he says when he saw Griffith on the Hill of Swords, this is in volume 38, he says when he saw Griffith on the Hill of Swords, it looks like it looks like the uh, the old Griffith, but somehow it looked more like Griffith than he's ever been. So it's like <laughs> yeah. Femto is like the, the the perfect version of who Griffith wanted to be as a person, you know. Yeah. The more the less imperfect He's the, of course, I think he's the idealized version, literally. Yeah. He's like the perfect yeah. version that Griffith envisioned in his mind. Right. And, you know, I think Griffith as a human, so that's, that relies that really very strongly on episode 83, which is not canon, but uh, I think the Griffith, the human Griffith was re- literally just like, the larvae state of, you know, Femto. It was just, Femto was incubating and, you know, Femto is what was always meant to be, and Griffiths as a human was just like a you know big beginner stage or whatever. It was but... the 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 yoke of what Femto was. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. So yeah, but, I think. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, but I'm wondering if uh, if this implies even that you know, and I I agree with you, or I agree with you up to a point on that. But if does this imply that like he could even go beyond sort of just being femto where like being femto is almost like settling, <laughs> you know, or, you know, with that, you know, as ridiculous as that sounds where it's like, you know, why would he want to be part of this? Why would he want it? Why wouldn't he want to transcend it as well? Is, why? This just, is being femto what he always was? And that was just the larval state. Or is that something where it's like, no, that's just something I'm doing. But me being 
Griffith the hawk that flies as far as I can, as Guts put it. Will that ultimately become a factor? I mean, it never could, and that would be fine. But you know, it's just an interesting thought. Yeah, actually, uh, I was about to say was that, but I think... I don't think Femto is meant to be like I don't know more 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 and more than that. I think his ambition is uh, really infinite. You think it fits within the framework? Yeah, exactly. I think I think you know he's defined by his ambition. If you if you have to define Femto like you know I don't know you don't define him by his gravity power if his end you define him by his ambition like that's the yeah. one thing like the dream everything is just the ambition he's driven and. I think, yeah, it fits within the other. Somebody asked uh, in a thread on the forum, uh, you know, like whether the others would have conflict with him. And I, I think it's possible. I think, you know, it's yeah. not it's not impossible, but I don't think it's very likely because, like, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the God hand is the hand of God and there's a God over that, and which is a, a kind of... I, Until I, Griffith, you know, stabs it, you know, in the dome there. <laughs> you know, I'm God, God now. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Void is like, what are you doing? <laughs> so You're breaking my the heart! <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, like it's a heart, okay. So, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I, oh, okay. So sorry, Grail. So no, I I think you know I I don't think it's very likely. I think it will, they'll work together, and I think they might not necessarily be bothered by the fact Griffiths, you know, is kind of the you know acting he's, as he's a leader meant to be this. In yeah, a way. Like, yeah. I mean, just again in in uh, episode eighty three, even though it's not canon, it's sort of like this is all by design. He's yeah. supposed to be this chosen one figure. Yeah, I I think he's meant to be the conqueror, pretty much. And I think those others will be fine with it. I think uh, Slime will be fine with just enjoying, you know, the pain of people being tortured, uh, the, you know, <laughs> debauchery of people, you know, fornicating, you know, I don't know, while taking drugs or stuff like that. And Ubik will just laugh at people being crazy or, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, so I think we don't, of course, we don't have the details yet. We actually have, like, close to no details at all. But I, I think it will fit together. And I think, like, you know, even beyond, uh, you know, that individual goal of Griffiths to, you know, you know, rule over Falconia and then do more or conquer the world or whatever. I think there's even a bigger goal overarching that will, uh, make use of his ambitions and the ambitions of the other four of them. And that will, you know, like be the master's kind of master plan. I think, uh, yeah, he's been going in that direction for a while. And like when to me, one of the biggest, like the latest big, Enormous even uh, clue to that is when uh, Fantasia happens, you know, like everything comes and you see these four double pages of, you know, each member of the God Hand. And yeah. I, I think it's like, like, I mean, that's when, you know, personally, like I already thought it was going to be like that. So I think we, we all knew it. But to someone who didn't know, that's when you, he understands that, you know, like he wasn't just, you know, put into the world for his own sake. He's also, you know, part of a team. As a team is also working together, even if it looks like they all work for their own goals. Yeah, and it might be that he's, you know, like we said, he's naturally the focus anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a role. I mean, he was their vanguard for the past yeah. two years, basically. Yeah. It's a it's a role he's been given. So, yeah. and you know, like depending on how far we we take the Eater of Evils, you know, uh, active role in that, like they they all each have their given roles. They each even been kind of created to play this role. So. You know, it, it makes sense, and I don't think there's going to be any Chelsea or anything between them. Although, it, it would actually be interesting to see. Now, well, the, speaking of the God Hand at 346, 
and just going forward, do you think, I mean, how great would it be if Guts asked, you know, just, I guess he would probably just ask about them in general, like, what is the god hand, what's a guardian angel of desire? What's up with that big brain guy? <laughs> you know, so Flora already sort of answered that, and, and she's saying it was one of the great mysteries of those who study magic. Right. So I'm, I don't think that they'll have any better answers necessarily. I mean, it's possible, but uh, I feel like we'd have to just not, hope they've discovered something. Yeah. She I, left. Between and I think we get like I think we will uh, get some clues about the Gotan on the island, uh, one way or the other. But yeah, whether it's next episode, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure. What actually interesting to see is uh, how quickly they'll move on to go see the king. Uh, whether they'll spend the night uh, with Gad or or the day or I don't know the afternoon, or whether uh, like in two episodes they're already going to see the the king of elves. So because like I'm, I'm I wasn't surprised by the pace of this. It's something I think Miralfen does where. You know, people might think he takes his time. You know, we see people talking as they walk up a slope. Then there's something happened. Then, you know, like in four pages, they're at, you know, the house talking to the guy and they don't just say, oh, how do you do? Oh, how do you do? You know, they just, you know, tell me about this, tell me about this. But, you know, like how many episodes until we see uh, the King of the Flower Stone? You know, that's, to yeah. me, that's a, still a, a question I'm not sure about. I don't think it'll be next. I, I think... Within five, I think it, the pacing feels about right. Yeah, I mean, me. definitely not next episode. I can't believe, but yeah, yeah I mean, no, no. The question is like, will it be within volume thirty-nine or not? Nah, I, it's too, too tough to say. I can only see one or two episodes out. Right? I can just, I can't judge a pacing beyond that. In fact, I'm surprised we're already having this talk. Yeah, uh, about guts past and things yeah. like that. You know, so it's already moving quicker than honestly that I, I thought it would. Uh, just was this previous episode that we were introduced to Ged, we walked through the village, past the village into Ged's house, and we're here. Yeah, they've only been there three episodes. Yeah. Yep. That's why I say up to five, but four, we're in the king's court. Even that feels, just now that I'm saying it, feels quick. (laughs) Yeah, and the thing is we, like, there's always the potential for unexpected things to happen, you know, like... Yeah, so that's something I can't remember where it was in the thread, but someone was mentioning, I was was talking about the, the pacing of things, and why Mira brought them to the island, you know, I, I can't imagine it's just to cure Casca. You know, that seems like the obvious thing. Uh, but I, I feel like he wouldn't have constructed this elaborate journey if it was just to cure Casca so that they can go back to the continent. I feel like there's going to be another major development that happens here. Oh, yeah. It makes sense to grab all the characters, all this cast, expanding this cast, just to have this thing happen with Casca seems unrealistic to me. So... I feel like there's something around the corner. It makes sense. Well, I'll say that I, I do like the idea of that, you know, big... People will throw the word quest all over, but I'll, I'll use it this time because, you know... But I like the idea of a giant quest to go save his girlfriend, pretty much. You know, I, I think I think that's very noble. You know, that's like... <laughs> Can the, he get, like, time served at this point, too? <laughs> like, Community service? I, yeah. I, I hope I, that... Uh, is Guts a social elf- worker now? <laughs> you know, like the elf king is just like, you know what? You you've done enough. I don't. I'm not even going to ask you to do anything. I'll just cure her right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, just the fact that you're here. Yeah, so, I mean, but- I just I just find it, you know, very romantic. Like it's kind of the ideal of the romantic knight, you know, who will, yeah, you know, go to no ends to get his, kind you know, lover cured or you know revived from the dead or whatever. And you know, from Guts in Volume One, where he's kind of a dick, and we learn that he's actually <laughs> left her in a cave because he couldn't deal with the pain and he had to just kill people because that's a relief to him. 
uh, two guts now where he's, yeah, he's really traveled all the world over to this point to save her. I find that very noble. So I actually really appreciate that. And I'm also very, very eager to have Casca back because that's like such a huge thing. But yeah, I mean, obviously we're on the island of magic users. So we still don't know the background of Shiroke. Uh, it's, I think it's going to be a huge development for her, for Fanesi as well. I think it's going to be really like, a big thing for the group, but even beyond that, I think the time is right for the Skull Knight to uh, spill some beans as well, especially after mm. what uh, happened on top of Ganishka. Yeah. And yeah, I think like even beyond that, uh, there's a king. I think there's a Moonlight Boy, which we might get more information about, whether it's from the king, uh, when Shuriki asks him, whether it's from the Skull Knight, whether it's from Zod, who appears out of nowhere to do whatever, uh, you know, I think, I think there's going to be something like that. And also, lastly, just because of the way Berserk is structured and because of horror, you know, as a fact, it's an action manga, I think there's going to be trouble, you know, because like, yeah. Gus needs to fight stuff. That's just how it is, you <laughs> know? Yeah. I mean, he just, he came, he, he killed some stuff because he has to kill stuff. And like I'm, I'm saying that I know it's very cold and sounds, but like from a storytelling perspective, so I think there's going to be trouble. And a battle is always a good theory. It's always a good guess about yeah, what's going to happen true. next. I mean, so it could be I don't know. It could be a dragon that just woke up in, on the island, or it could be whatever, or it could be uh, Conrad who just you know pops out of nowhere, or I don't know. But I, I think there's going to be some some kind of trouble. And of course, lastly, they need a good reason to leave the island and. I think a combination of good reasons uh, would be an ever better reason. Yeah. It could be the brand that wakes something on the island or something's been slumbering there. I mean, another thing they've kept in their armory all these years is awakened by the brand's presence on the island. Yeah, it could also be... Yeah, and actually, good thing you mentioned the brand because the brand itself could have been affected by what's happening to the world or could be affected in the future. And that could be an, another reason for them to move their asses and get back to Falconia. Yeah. I think Guts had described it once, like ever since the, the merging, his uh, his brand's been tingling like it's kind of like like a radar that's constantly spinning or something like that. He doesn't, yep. doesn't quite know how to react to it. Yep. He has. Yeah. So that's a fantastic episode, guys. You guys led the conversation. I really appreciate that. There's a lot to say. And uh, Griffith and Guts has never been more interesting uh, as we move forward. So 346 comes out in one month. We're back to monthly releases for the foreseeable future, and that's awesome. I'm counting on six or so, uh, but we'll see if it's more than that. Um, that does it for the episode talk. Uh, we have a little bit more time. I uh, wanted to see if you guys have been tuning in to the anime. I have. I've been tuning out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Griff, you're a good control case, actually. You would mentioned exactly. that you only watched about five minutes of it or so? Yeah, about five to ten minutes. <laughs> Somewhere in there. So you posted your impressions in a thread, and it was actually really funny, because you, you, I think you chimed in on the episode four thread. And you said, like, you tuned out after five minutes of the first episode saying it was really shitty. And I was I had this image in my head, like, we were in, Azil and I and Grail, who've been enduring this the past three episodes, like, we're in a concentration camp, and the guards <laughs> happen to serve the good gruel this time. And we're like, oh, the good gruel. And you come in, he's a new arrival, and you say, this is shit. This is terrible food. Why are you guys eating this terrible food? And we're and the guard says, well, that's enough. I'm taking it away. And then we look at you saying, that was the good gruel, man. <laughs> 
that's kind of how I felt like in the thread. Like, yes, it's it's been it has been a painful ride. This I mean, thing. I just want to ask: Has it gotten any better than my impressions of you know? First of all, just when I saw Sidro and in the bar carrying the drinks, I was like, oh god. It's like, okay, is this like new info on Isidro? And it's like, oh no, it's supposed to be the tavern. It's supposed to be the opening. No, yep. <laughs> no, you're, doing, you're going all wrong. And then just the the visuals. I mean, just whatever you want to call it, like every sort of bad, it looked like an old Flash movie. It looked like, you know, Parappa the Rapper <laughs> when, <laughs> you know, at times where they're like the weird CGI and their heads moving and, yeah, I just yeah. I couldn't get with it. It really hurt me, and like it, it, like I said in the thread, it hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm actually it, really impressed that you tuned out after five minutes. Like, even as bad as it was, and don't get me wrong, episode one was the roughest and real tough to get through. I was still had this morbid curiosity, like it was a train wreck that I had to like sit there and stare at it for a little bit to see. It, where it made it me. It, I was drinking some wine, and it made me very angry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's actually funny. The reaction online has, it's really turned on a dime. You know, first episode, many people were pissed off, but there was still a large contingent of people saying like, well, it's not that bad. Maybe, maybe he'll get better. Maybe the strategy is like shit the bed with the first episode. And then, you know, like, it sounds like it's just becoming more tolerable. Uh, Yeah, only by degrees. I don't know about that. It's only, it's. I think it's only good relative to how it has been in the first since the first couple episodes, you know. But uh, it's still not very watchable. Like I, I would never describe this as entertaining. Like it's not uh, enjoyable just in a vacuum. If you weren't yeah. already a Berserk fan, you would be like, "Ugh, what is this?" Yeah. The most I can say is that it's it's repeating most of the material somewhat faithfully from the manga in to a, the extent that it looks worse than the manga. So why am I watching it if it's <laughs> going to say the exact same material? That's the problem. And I mean, is it even presenting that material in a you know, no. exciting way. No. Is it, you know, no, like, not at all. It's fucking, no. it's first of all, it looks fundamentally bad. It just looks shitty. Uh, and it, when I'm seeing the same framing, the same visual device, uh, sorry, when, when all the shots are framed like the manga, they just look shittier. They just happen to be smoothing slightly. Like, what the hell is the point? They exactly? might actually, I mean, with the style they use, they could theoretically do like some of those manga anime music videos we've seen and just take mm-hmm. panels and like color them in and have them moving around on the that, screen. That would have been a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I got two things to say. The first is that, you know, I think the good episodes, which are episode two and four so far, are only good. I mean, I only tolerably bad because they actually stick to the manga like you know page by page panel by panel only the lifeless and the visual are shit and the voice acting is shit and everything is shit but I think like I don't think they can uh, animate the whole uh, conviction arc or what's left of it uh, you know faithfully because there's too much material so I think they're gonna skip some parts and adapt some others and I think necessarily when they do that it's gonna suck more so you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if we're in for, uh, you know, uh, one good, one bad, one good, one bad, or if it's just going to be better and then you get some shit and, it's, you know, it's okay and then it's get a bit better. But I don't think it's going to be consistently uh, tolerable, you know, in the future. And the second thing is, since Grail is the one who's got the most experience with anime among us, you know, hey. what, do you, <laughs> what do you think, like for purely new reader, what do you think they would think of that? Oh, geez. So I, I guess you could look at it different ways. Somebody who's just coming into the anime or somebody who's uh, 
I'm, I'm not sure what your question is. Uh, it's like, as somebody who watches anime but has no experience oh. with Berserk, what, what would you think of that? You know, I, it's I mean, bad. No, it's bad. Like, I, I, was, I was telling a friend earlier who was asking what I thought about the anime because she, she doesn't know Berserk very well, but she was like, oh, yeah, I, I was on Crunchyroll the other day. I saw Berserk anime was on. What do you think? I was like, don't watch it. Please, don't watch it. If that's all you know about Berserk, just, you know, there's... <laughs> There's other avenues you can take to experience you know, this. But I think you're touching be... on something that, you know, was with my reaction is the shame factor. Yeah. It like makes me feel ashamed. I'm just embarrassed. Like, I have to tell my friends, like, don't, I know you know I like Berserk, but don't do this to yourself, please. please. Hey, I saw that thing you're really into. <laughs> what are you, some so, kind of sicko? <laughs> so, Griff, yeah, like, I actually think, oh, sorry, let me ask you, what do you think of this versus, say, movie one? I think movie, I mean, it's like, it's really, this is weird. I mean, I know it's wrong. I know it's perception, but I'm like, it's like looking back to the good old days, you know, no. <laughs> like, you know, is I mean, isn't that, that's absurd, you mm. know, because we did like podcast, <laughs> we did like two or three podcasts just tearing those movies apart. And it's like, you know, those, they were in HD. Uh, it it there was, were actual colors being used, yeah, not was, just gray it, and brown. That was pretty. It did, it did actually have some like beautiful moments and shots and things. Where so, there yeah, were those things, that, the, the feathers, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the feathers coming down from the sky. Oh, the, the background that was dark. nice stuff. Yeah, it, it's just weird um, to me that it keeps getting worse. Like you know, with the '97 anime, which was you know we which was somewhat maligned already. You know, it was a good uh, sort of starter drug gateway drug mm-hmm. into berserk for a lot of people myself included and but you know very flawed lots of changes that were done that seemed kind of unnecessary and simplifications and just you know but when you just compare it to the movies and then especially this it just <laughs> seems so much better mm-hmm. like well, it's, i think it, the, the difference the missing factor was the first the 97 series had decent direction like they could convey an emotion yeah a real emotion accurately and have you feel something whereas uh, it was, the movies never were uh, able I to think, do that. you know honestly i think even the technicians working on it so yeah yeah the 97 series like it had no budgets but like the people working on it felt like even with a very small budget they actually they did like, the best they could yeah they were professionals like you know they could i'm not saying there was the best of the trade but they actually were professionals whereas the guys doing this stuff right now, I mean, honestly, like the voice actors are less good. Everything is less good. But, you know, even just the visuals, the animation, honestly, yeah. I, I've seen people like people who picked it up, like, I don't know, a week ago, like in Poser and stuff and like this kind of shitty software. And they did better stuff than that. So, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering if they took some guys off the street, like some hobos and like, oh, we'll pay you, <laughs> we'll pay you in booze. Like, you know, I got some stock of four locals, you know, from back in the day, you know, that's what we're paying you. It's got the real so, good stuff I in think it. The, the, I think the key takeaway from this is the the differences that we're seeing between the old anime and the new anime project is the, the state of the anime industry in general, I think. Because there they I read an article recently or saw like a video about it that said, you know, even mediocre animators are in high demand in Japan right now. And a lot of stuff is getting outsourced and it's just like a very, very different atmosphere. And you can see like I mean, it's not like they shied away from sexual material in the 97 anime, but obviously you can see what's going on in, in the, the new stuff where, you know, all this shitty, like, CGI, and then the one part they try to animate by hand was Farnese getting, like, almost raped by the horse. 
So you can kind of see what the what the key thought scene. process. Yeah, key scene people, and it's just like that, like people who just want to see like lolies and like sexualized female characters. That's what they're in for, and that's what they're trying to cater to. And I mean, that's just how the industry is right now, and I think that's kind is of it depressing. Just a matter of like the anime industry in the nine in the eighties and nineties that the you know maybe there's a higher ceiling now, but the floor is also much lower. Like, you know, even that series that had no budget in 97, you know, there was still like a bare minimum that they had to do. And it seems like, you know, that that bare minimum, that standard has just gone so far down with, you know, the use of computer technology and everything else where it's like, oh, yeah, this is well, this is a colored picture (laughs) and we can push it out. It's, it's the 80s were like the golden age for animation in Japan. Yeah. yeah. The 80s were a golden age for in Japan in general. Se- so se- naturally. 70s, 80s, flourished. yeah. So that's, that's a good time. Yeah. I was actually going to mention to you guys that Gob and I were watching uh, Rosa Versailles on uh, Crunchyroll, nice. I think. Nice. And it was, it was great. We just watched the first episode, but I could already be like, whoa. So I see a couple of things from Berserk here. <laughs> Just like little random details. So I highly recommend if anybody wants to check it out huh. on Crunchyroll, if you got that free trial. Give it a well, try. You know, yeah. I mean, is it a matter was, of uh, they don't make them like they used to? Like oh, they, they had to actually draw it back then? Yeah, they had to draw it. <laughs> they had to, yeah, it's basically it. They had to draw it and put in some like actual semblance of effort, which is nowadays what you were saying about CGI. I think that in a way it's brought in a lot of great opportunities. Like uh, this weekend we were also watching a, a, actually a great example of what they could have done with Berserk, which was the Helsing Ultimate OVA series, which was just... I think uh, eight or ten episodes of, you know, OVAs over the course of several years and did a really good job of just like, you know, expressing things visually, great production. They did use CGI, but it was with, uh, I think it was done very conservatively and done very carefully. So it's possible. There's one thing to mention is that I've actually uh, seen some animes that used 3D, because we say CGI, but you know, like everything's computer generated, but they used 3D stuff within 2D stuff, and it looked fucking great, and actually if you didn't focus on it, you couldn't even notice it, and it just like... Beauty, you didn't Beauty and the Beast, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah man. They've, the greatest example. <laughs> Academy so, Award nominated. So, so yeah, it's not the medium or the technique, it's the... the the skill of the yeah, technician yes, it just, is, was, I, is lacking I mean, here. They're just bad, honestly. They're just, they're just bad. In any case, to, to bounce off what Greg said about, you know, what these guys try to cater to, that's just... I mean, it's like I said in the thread. To me, it's just sad, personally. And I'm watching this like like somebody, you know, watching to report on a mass murder, you know, because <laughs> I just want to be a, a witness to it, but... Yeah, in, the, in, the body count has only gone up. Yeah, <laughs> you know? in, in the end, it's, it's just sad because I, I don't think they're doing Berserk justice. And you know, like I think the maybe the viewpoint that uh, Hakusen Chat takes and probably Mira as well is that you know it's just a side stuff and it doesn't like it, it, it doesn't change the fact the manga is great and it's true. But at the same time, uh, as a fan, you know, as a big time fan, you know, I can't help but feel bad that Berserk's name yeah. is, is solid by this shit. You know, it, they've, you know, soiled it with this bullshit, and that that kind of bothers me, I guess. And I can I can see that perspective to a degree that this is obviously compared to the the manga. It's just you know, it's something on it's on the side. It's just it's not necessary. But at the same time, it's not like a lunchbox or something where. If it's crappy, no one, no one's going to care. It's not going to affect people's perception of it. Whereas this will. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think, I think worst case scenario, 
it brings Berserk's name into the headlines more than it would before. Yeah. And that maybe more people will think, oh, right, Berserk, I wonder what's happening with that. Oh, wow, this is terrible. But now that I'm thinking about it, let me check out the recent issues. Yeah. Right. That kind of thing. You know, yeah. I, I can't imagine it being worse than I that. I think What's the true? bummer is just that from our perspective, as people who got into it either through the anime or through the game or, you know, I don't know, maybe through the manga in some cases, but a lot of us got into it through different media. And I think that it's true. It's hard for us to watch and know that people are experiencing this as their first experience of Berserk and being like, oh, man, when I played the Dreamcast game. <laughs> I want some more. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like, whoa, <laughs> this is amazing. I really enjoyed this experience. I want more stuff instead of just yeah. like oh well well i'll check out the manga maybe that's better <laughs> it feels like yeah those fans aren't getting the same opportunities yeah. we did like where yeah on the whole it's going to bring in more people it's not you know no one who reads the manga is gonna put it down because of this anime you know yeah. but uh yeah. but guess, yeah it's just sad that it's not doing a better job it's like I guess you're it, the sad so- the sad grandpa watching his children <laughs> I, was, I, I was gonna say i guess it brings a, a question is that the you know listeners will sure you know love is is this going to bring the right kind of fan to Berserk you know like the guys who like the tri cheese they're being fed and say oh I want some more is this the guys we want to have in the fan community for Berserk oh that that Farnese scene was awesome yeah <laughs> I need yeah. more <laughs> I haven't actually seen anybody liking it uh, maybe 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 at one or two people uh, and then they quickly disappeared. I haven't really They're seen all anybody. They're on YouTube writing comments. Yeah. Well, the first episode had a lot of people like to see guts in motion kind of comments. Mm. Oh, yeah. But I, I haven't like seen see anybody consistently. Like a robot. Yeah. Well, you know, I can't. The thing is, the worst part in you know, all of this, I, I can't force people for being happy that there's a new Berserk anime. I mean, we all, like by default, I think we all are happy that something's being done with Berserk. That's cool. But the problem is, yeah, some people are so involved in their, you know, happiness of other kind of developments as they can't see a disaster looming. And when it comes, it even takes them some time to realize it's a disaster. And, you know, once it's there, it's, it's just too late. So, yeah, I think the, the problem is these guys, I think, Walter, you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, the noise around this anime has kind of quite down after uh, episode three and that for episode four, there was much less... Uh, a noise on Twitter about it, and I think correct. Yeah, I think like people after a while they're like, "Oh wait, this isn't no, this is actually not so great." Oh, oh, and then the hype train you know, slowing down. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, oh, looks like we're you know already at the last station. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I keep a relative finger on the pulse of just what happens online with Berserk and on Twitter around before the first episode and directly after the first and second episode, there was lots and lots and lots of people talking about Berserk, but that is all vanished. And the only people talking about the Berserk animation right now are people like me that are just basically making fun of it and posting funny images of the episodes. And that's it, honestly. What else can you yeah. do, really? Not yeah. much. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll probably be tempted at some point. Sure, sure. Well, uh, you know, know. I'll uh, check I, in on certain I, scenes and stuff. Once I have less, I don't know, Dark Souls to play. <laughs> the positive part in all of this is that it can't, I think, I'm, I'm going to take a risk and say it can't possibly get any worse. <laughs> oh, no. It's going to get worse. Don't say that. <laughs> Just it's wait gonna... for the 2020 anime. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. Yeah. Oh, oh! You mean future adaptations can't get any worse? Yeah, yeah, of okay. course. I, I, I thought you meant within this this series. Oh, no, no. I think it could absolutely get worse. Oh yeah, I mean this series. Oh, I, I mean I don't know if it could get worse, but yeah, I mean okay. I meant fu- imagine, imagine 
the Tower of Conviction uh, falling. Yeah. In this animation style. No, no, I can't. Uh, I can't imagine that. <laughs> I don't think uh, it will fall. I think they'll cut that part. You know, we <laughs> see the tower. You know, we see the screen shaking as the tower stays there. Then there'll be and you'll hear clang, clang yeah. and then we get to see the tower. You know, uh, as having already crumbled. Yeah, Griff hasn't heard the clang. Oh wow. You're pre-clang. He's pre-clang. Oh, I get, is, this, is this like a line I want to stay on this side of? <laughs> um, uh, probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to, to be a clang. You know, a <laughs> it's not very the ominous. Clang the, clang. the clang club is, is a exclusive and very sad club. Yeah. Yeah. Once you're in the clang gang, you can never get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I have a good opportunity here where... Um, Griffith has not heard the clang. I can I can play it for him. We can get his live reaction. <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm sweating. I'm like I'm getting scared now. <laughs> Let me see if I have it. Hang on. I'll pull up a clip. Every time Guts hits an enemy with the Dragon Slayer, I was guessing it was going to be something like this. every single time, even when it's a ghost. So just ignore the music they play in the background. That is the actual sound they make, though. Just go ahead and click that video. I'll put it in chat. Okay, let's see here. Clang clang. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> it actually goes very well with the music. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good with the music. <laughs> the, um, like the vomiting after too. <laughs> yes. So even after Guts slices a specter that's been you know near uh, Farnese, it goes clang through the specter. Um, pretty, I mean, there's a few Why does variations. it sound like a hollow clang? Like the dragon. Why does it sound? Like... It sounds like Lars on those metal drums he used for Saint Anger. <laughs> yeah, Saint, Saint Anger, like. very much so. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Anyway, yeah, I, di- I didn't mean to spend so much time on the anime, but I couldn't resist Griff having been a, kind of a control of our experiment, not having experienced it. Uh, I think that it, always so. kind of ha- happens. Whenever the anime gets brought up, we all we all have to say something bad for a while just to get it off our chest, you know? Yeah. Mm. It's therapeutic. I feel better a little bit. We're yeah. having a catharsis moment here. Well, I'm glad I yeah. could give you guys, you know, <laughs> someone to vent to. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Don't watch it. Don't don't, don't watch it. Yeah. I don't think you should watch it. I don't think you're a better person for having watched yeah, it. Didn't, yeah. Um, didn't Rupert uh, mention that he hadn't watched the movies or anything and he watched the anime and was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Yeah. He's a hardcore fan. You know, he's like the hardliner of the party and I respect him for that. He decided <laughs> it was shit and he's not watching it and, you know, like thumbs up from me. That's, you know, because there's, there's two ways. There's either you're the fan that's gonna, you know, get down in the trenches. You're gonna eat the shit to be sure it's shit to, you know, like you need to partake in the shit because you're, you know, that's, that's what it's part of. And there's a guy who's like, no, I won't do it. And I respect that. Yeah. I've got a podcast to run. <laughs> I have to do this shit. Well, you I'm know, I mean, it. journalistic yeah. integrity has its downsides. Yeah. I, I have also just pure masochism. You know, I, I have key. You know, berserk key holders. I have berserk lapel pins. I have berserk stickers. Berserk, you know. Did you, did you get that fan, the Shirke fan? Yeah, yeah, of course. I get, like, okay. I've got, I got a lot of berserk stuff. So, you know, like, this berserk anime is no big deal for me. Sure, sure, sure. Course. That fan was the worst, though. You can yeah. watch this standing on your head. 
Well, you know, I, I do, like, when I watch these episodes, I, I pause them, like, I think every 20 seconds, and then I spend, like, a minute recuperating, so... <laughs> like, I'm you're, not, like, hyperventilating into yeah, a bag, and then, uh, okay, uh, I can turn it on again. I'm <laughs> not saying it doesn't take a toll on me to was them, but I, I do it anyway, you know, but, you know, I really, literally pause them, like, I don't know, every, at least every 30 seconds, so that's why it takes me wow. 50 minutes to watch one, you know. It's an ordeal. Yeah. Well, that's it for the show, guys. That's all we have time for. But uh, we'll be back in a month to discuss episode 346, uh, where we might get a little bit more about Guts' uh, revelations to his companions or totally different direction. Hard to say at this point, but it'll be exciting either way. So check you out in a month. Yay. See ya. See ya.